Hi, we're Visible, the wireless company with nothing to hide. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not into you. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Where else would you rather be than right here, right now? Hey, hey, let's go Buffalo. Hey, hey, let's go Buffalo. The Bills make me wanna Welcome to the Circling the Wagons podcast, a podcast discussing the Bills all year round with interviews, news, recaps, and insightful fan discussion. Most times. Here's your host and lifelong Bills fan, Nate. Hey, Bills fans, welcome to another episode of Circling the Wagons, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast and the only podcast that brings you insight on the draft coming up this week with someone on the forefront of football analytics. I'm your host, Nate, and we have a great show for you with a special guest appearance from Cam Meller of Pro Football Focus. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Cam personally, he is a senior content manager at Pro Football Focus, and he runs the at PFF underscore Bills Twitter account, which is a great follow. Cam and the folks at Pro Football Focus are a wealth of knowledge. And in this interview, we go over a bunch of Bills topics like positional draft needs from an analytical standpoint, which teams have a need at quarterback that could trade up with the Bills for their number nine pick. Thoughts on some draft boomer bust prospects, ones that have uh, actually been linked and mocked to the Bills as of late, what actually goes into pro football focus grades for each player, and a ton more. So sit back and enjoy this highly educational discussion with Cam. So he is a senior content manager for Pro Football Focus, the site that gives you advanced analytics, data, and grades for every player in the NFL, and has done a ton of work in NFL free agency and the draft. I'm joined by Cam Meller. Cam, it's great to have you on the podcast. How are you? I'm great. It's great to be here. Great to talk about uh, the Bills and and all things going forward here. Great. Thank you. So in general, I mean, as far as the Bills go, what were your thoughts on the free agent signings they made in the last few weeks? I mean, I definitely say it's it's uh, it's all about building around Josh Allen. I mean, it's from the the get go with signing four offensive linemen, adding some playmakers to the receiving core, and you know just building around what is going to be the the cornerstone of the franchise here for the foreseeable future. As far as that goes, I mean, did you like the signings that they made? Were did you were you mostly optimistic about them, or were they just you know just okay decent signings? I'd say on the offensive side, uh, we we as a company, and then I personally, once I've dug into it, I really like what they've done on the offensive line. There's there's a lot there, and there's a lot to be played with, and I think the upside and the the oft used floor, the high floor for these these free agent offensive linemen that they've signed, you know, you're getting much better players than what we've had before. Um, and then it's from the from the receiver standpoint, they're adding guys like a John Brown who did much better when he had a quarterback that could throw to him with the Ravens, you know, with him and Flacco, it was, it was a thing, a, a good thing going. And then obviously the insert Lamar into that lineup in Baltimore and it's his production went way down. But I think adding somebody like Brown, adding somebody like Cole Beasley, um, it, it's, it's very evident that they were trying to get better for Allen. And I, I like what they've done on the offensive side. Okay, great. So, I mean, how about wins above replacement? Now I know this is a pro football focused term. So could you explain that to listeners and let us know where the bills ranked in that category after free agency? Absolutely. So it's, it's don't have the num- exact numbers on, on hand. They're right. They were right at the middle of the pack. It's a, it's basically the wins above replacement is if you were to take 
a player in your lineup, a starting player, and then re replace them with an off-the-street free agent. So we kind of saw how that was literally off-the-street free agent with the Rams when they signed C.J. Anderson at the tail end of the year. And, and, you know, he came in and replaced Gurley. Not replaced, but, you know, he, he they didn't miss too big of a step there. And so that's that gap there in replacing a starting player with an off-the-street free agent, how big that is. And that's the number. The higher the wins above replacement for a player – the less likely you are to succeed without them in your lineup. And so players like a John Brown that averaged almost a full win above replacement when he was on the field with the Ravens, that's a big boost to the Bills offense. You know, somebody like Cole Beasley, he was in, he was just about two thirds of a win above replacement along those lines, you know, adding guys like that, they're, they're sitting pretty in terms of from what they lost the Bills, that is to what they've gained. There wasn't a whole lot of loss there. It's a, it was a lot of wins that they were gaining just with the offensive class alone. So you're saying, like, for example, the wide receivers, the loss of Kelvin Benjamin and Andre Holmes, two players that, for the most part, pretty much underperformed last year, and then all of a sudden you you had John Brown and Cole Beasley in those veteran spots. You are obviously adding talent and therefore adding, hopefully, wins by replacing them. Correct. That, that's a that's the best way to probably look at it, too. It's it, for those direct correlations there, those two direct players, and then adding somebody like Frank Gore, too, just adding him into the mix. Mm -hmm. surprisingly even in his advanced age for the nfl he was the highest graded running back in the division last year so adding him just adding him to the fold you know you're gaining just a little boost because running backs aren't necessarily that valuable anymore in today's nfl but somebody like him that's going to get you the positive yards and going to get you he's not going to lose you anything so it's it's replacing those players that didn't perform with players that have a background in performing it's it's a big win so far Okay, great. So you recently wrote an article that outlined the needs for all 32 NFL teams headed into the draft. What do you think are the biggest positional needs right now for the Buffalo Bills? I definitely would still stick with, and this is after free agency, um, and I know I got a lot of heat from it, actually, from, from the Bills Mafia. <laughs> I'd stick with cornerback. I don't think it's going to be the best or the, the biggest need right now. I, I, I'll still stick with edge defender and, and specifically an edge rusher that can get after the quarterback. But cornerbacks... Are, are the most valuable position on defense because the most valuable aspect of defense in today's NFL is coverage. So getting a cover corner in the draft is still on there. Still a big need. I know, I know we're young in that division and I know we just signed a bunch of players, but it's still, I'll get into that later, but definitely would stick with edge pressure, edge rusher, edge defender as a number one need right now. So you have edge rusher, cornerback, and what was the third one? We had tight end and that was done before the Tyler Croft signing. So oh, gotcha. Tyler Croft has shown a little bit what he can do, and that was in Tyler Eifert's shadow in Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. So with an extended workload and a healthy season, I, I think we like the projection of Croft going forward. Okay. So, you know, this is completely, I did not plan to ask this question, but since we're talking about tight ends, is it more of a an issue of need for tight end because the Bills literally only have two on their roster right now? Or is it be because there aren't a lot of elite tight ends out there in general? There's not a lot of Travis Kelsey's or Zach Ertz out there. Is it really, there, is, is it just a lack of numbers right now for the Bills or is it really just such a big drop in, you know, the, the next team up from the Buffalo Bills in, in tight end talent? I think it's, I think so, speaking specifically to tight end here too, Gronk is the last of the players in the, at, the, at the position that could do it all. Gronk was the last one that was blocking at a, an elite level, receiving at an elite level. So you're looking at players now that are going to do one or the other. So realistically, even Kelsey and Kittle and OJ Howard, those guys haven't shown necessarily exactly what they can do from a receiving end on blocking and you know the value in terms of of receiving grade and receiving prowess as a tight end is 
much more important than it is. So coaches obviously are highly more likely to say what you're getting me in the receiving game is so much more than what you'll get me from the blocking that I'm, I'm willing to take a little bit less of a blocker. So somebody like Croft, he's done both decent in his career. If he puts it both together, you know, we're not talking in an elite category, but Croft can go up and get the ball. And so I think he helps that and he helps get you somebody that is going to be a receiving target for mm -hmm. Allen. But he's also, it does help the numbers thing. I mean, you can't go anywhere with two tight ends nowadays. <laughs> yeah, You, you no. got to have at least two big healthy bodies and, and a third one just is an added benefit. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, you were saying about your needs earlier with cornerback, um, edge rusher and tight end. Now, some Bills fans and the Bills mafia might argue that wide receiver should be on that list. Um, could you let the listeners know why you don't see wide receiver as that big of a need? Yes. Yeah, so it's, I think the additions that they have are going to be suitable and and we've we've got a lot of data on zay jones and so i think we still are we're still holding on hope for zay mm -hmm. but i think going forward it's it's the addition of brown and beasley number one and number two there i think brown on the outside and you have beasley in the slot it's you have three capable maybe you know receivers that are going to be there and with the cornerbacks on roster now you have two signings that aren't necessarily going to be you know we're not sure what you're going to get out of them you know what you're getting with brown and beasley and jones and Mm -hmm. And that aspect of receiving, I still, if I were to put receiver on the team's list, I would actually slide receiver now maybe into that third spot where tight end was after mm -hmm. Croft has been signed. But mm -hmm. I still would say cornerback is more more important and more bigger a bigger need. So we were talking about elite tight ends earlier with, you know, Gronk and even like Ertz and Kelsey. I mean, there's really not that many elite wide receivers in, in the game. Can you get by with you know, three or four receivers like uh, Zay Jones and, and Cole Beasley and John Brown. And do you think you can still succeed in this league with like four of those guys instead of your Julio Jones or AJ Green on the roster? I would say you can. You're not going to have the namesake and you're not going to have somebody that immediately takes away the number one corner on the mm -hmm. other other team if that's the, the team called on defense. Mm -hmm. But it, it it's possible. I mean, you, you got to look. You got to have a quarterback that can get them, though, get them the first and second and third read the ball. Mm -hmm. and so that's where if, if Allen develops, you know, he can start looking at Beasley in the slot as his even first or second or third option. But I, I think it's possible. I think it's been seen before with, you know, somebody, a team like the Patriots where he is pretty evenly divided. Granted, he did have a Gronk and an Edelman and mm -hmm. made Hogan, Chris Hogan look great. And, you know, Brady's had a whole number of, of, of characters to work with, but you know, it, it, there is a proven background to say that three good options is as good as one elite option. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Great. So the bills are drafting at number nine overall this year and GM Brandon Bean has shown a propensity for trading spots in the first round. Now he did this twice last year, but this year the bills are not looking at quarterback in the first round. So which teams drafting after the bills at number nine have a need at quarterback that might possibly try to trade up with them? So I would definitely go with the Broncos at 10, the Redskins, and then the Giants are all legitimate contenders to trade up. I don't think that Denver would move up just the one spot, knowing full well that Buffalo isn't going to take a quarterback here. So unless Denver is too worried about Washington or the Giants moving up, you know, I think the most legitimate candidates here would be the Redskins or the Giants later. But, you know, who, who knows? At this point, it's, it's such a weak quarterback class that rumors and mocks and our our grades and our big boards after kyler murray and haskins even there's still a pretty large drop off that i think teams are going to be confident enough in maybe possibly waiting either until the round two or even in 2020 kind of like what miami was rumored to so 
I think it's I think it's a very weak quarterback class going forward, and and the hopes are, you know, if if the Bills are to trade down and Bean wants to trade down like he has done, and you know, getting another first rounder for your first rounder here is that's quite a quite a win in our book too. But you'd have to you'd have to hope I think play the scared game here for one of those teams to move up, you know, thinking that if they have their somebody on their mind like Washington, if they you know, if they can't get him in round two, then really, who are they looking for? Will they want to move up to nine? It's it's kind of, it's a weak class to say so. Gotcha. So really not the best year to be trading up or to be hoping to trade back then as far as quarterback. Yeah, un- unfortunately not. <laughs> so you recently wrote an article on the top five boom or bust draft prospects this year. And three of those players have been mocked to the Bills in the first round as of late. Those players include Mississippi State edge rusher Montez Sweat, Michigan edge rusher Rashawn Gary, and Ole Miss wide receiver DK Metcalf. Could you explain why each of those three players made your top five? Yeah, so Sweat, you know, he's been one of those battle-tested guys four years in the SEC. He never really quite put it together until year four. And even in his breakout year, he kind of went away against the bigger competition. So LSU, Texas A&M, Alabama, and Iowa, all, you know, pretty well known for their offensive lines this past year. Sweat just recorded, he recorded 12 total pressures on almost 100 pass rushing snaps against those four teams alone. So you kind of have, maybe he was bullying teams of, of, of lesser competition. Um, and so we don't know, you know, his he graded very well, but only in year four. Years one, two, and three, he wasn't really that highly graded on ours. And, you know, he's, he's a freakish athlete, just like Gary is, but it's, it's, does he put it together at the right times against the bigger competition? And then same with Rashawn Gary, freakish athlete did super well, but he struggled to put it all on the field on a consistent basis. So he, his best pass rushing season for the, for the Wolverines was in 2017. And that, that his best pass rushing season doesn't even crack the top 10 in terms of Michigan players, pass rushing grades since 2014. So we're talking, not even the best on his team, let alone, you know, top 10, top 15 in terms of pass rushing grade for the draft class. Uh, so he could be just a flash in the pan showing that athletic ability. But if he's used correctly, then maybe maybe we're talking that bust or the boom capability for him. So mm-hmm. um, then Metcalf, too, you know, I'd say nobody else dominated the combine quite like he did and took took it by storm with how he ran. But those what he succeeded in in the combine is rarely successful in terms of predicting NFL talent and NFL ability. So his career high grade, which we found to be very predictive from college to pro, only ranked 149th in the nation last year. And he forced just three missed tackles after the catch. So we're talking his athletic skills on a, from a raw standpoint are there, but he's never really been able to translate that to the field. So that's why I think, you know, it's there, but for a boom, but if it's not used and he can't show it on the field consistently, then we're talking a bust, especially at a pick nine for either one of those three guys. So I know you can't give, I mean, I'm sure you haven't done the analytics on this specifically, but I mean, you're talking about three players that have done pretty well, but not, I guess, I guess they haven't dominated when they've needed to, or at least I guess to what I would expect a top 10 pick to be. I mean, how often do you see players like that, that are just freaks athletically, that haven't quite put it together in college and just automatically do that. Do you think it's more often than not, or can you even, I mean, I I hate to put you in a corner on that, but do you you think that you see that as more boom or bust with these kinds of um, freakish athletes? I think the guys with the freakish athletic skills that put them on display when it comes time for it, you know, the so-called most important job interview of their life at the combine, 
uh, you can circle directly back to John Ross. We had decent grades on him at Washington in the one year we had for him. Runs the fastest 40 time ever at the time. And, you know, he hasn't turned out as the NFL product that everybody thought he would be drafting so high. So I think that it's more often than not that a guy will come out of nowhere at least and show these freakish athletic abilities to be a bust than it would be the other way around. You have somebody like Miles Garrett, absolutely dominated the combine, but he dominated every year and every game's worth of data that we have from him to the point we've even gone back further and tried to get as much as we can on him because we want to know what what he did so well. And it's basically everything. So you have somebody like Miles Garrett who performed, and I don't think it was a question, he was number one pick, and then did super well and showed off those abilities. Whereas John Ross, he was okay. Lesser known Washington, obviously, for the majority of of the the NFL world that didn't watch Saturday football, uh, but then blows up at the combine and everybody wants to know who John Ross is. And then he hasn't he's kind of fizzled out, so to speak. So I think it, uh, to answer it without pulling exact numbers and yeah. using those two guys as a, as a case, or, you know, a scenario here, it's I'd say more often than not, these just freakish athletic guys would fizzle out. OK, gotcha. Gotcha. Great. So, I mean, in general, um, we talked about pro football focus grades. Everyone sees them on Twitter. You know, it's on Sunday Night Football every week. And you guys, you know, get, basically give grades on players each week and throughout the season where they rank as far as their position goes. Do, do these grades take into account, you know, things like poor coaching or, you know, if if a, if a offensive tackle was put in the wrong position to take on an edge rusher and things like that? I mean, I guess would a player be penalized for, you know, being put in the wrong spot? Or do you take those into account and, and grade on a curve when you put out uh, pro football focus grades? That's a great question. And it's it's actually, we, we do our best to isolate player performance on a percent basis on the, at the individual level. We don't get into the coaching decision grades or the coaching grades or anything of that nature. And we, you know, so we're not going to then penalize, say, a tackle for a wrong play call if, if he's been put in the wrong position or if he's been given you know, an, an arduous task that can't be complete. So it's it isolates player performance on individual play, individual player, and then per a per play basis. And that's all aggregated to a game grade and then a season overall grade as well. So tries to do our best here to isolate mm-hmm. without knowing the specific play call. That's always one of our biggest, um, any any opponent wants to say, how do you grade without knowing the play call? And that's where it comes into play. It's, it's individual performance. You can tell watching a play what a player is trying to do. If he fails miserably, that's a pretty that's a negative grade, and it's pretty obvious. And if he succeeds and succeeds well, it's a positive grade, and you know what he's trying to do when he does it. So, can you sometimes see where a guy succeeds where they probably shouldn't have based on the play that was called? Yeah, and you can see that too. If you know, there's there's those obvious situations, and offensive line is an easier one to point out in that regard. But it's there are times in which a guy shouldn't make a catch that he makes a catch, and it's still going to be a positive grade. But then. You know, if it's an overthrown ball by the quarterback, but a receiver makes a great play or receiver makes, you know, comes out of nowhere and makes the catch, the receiver gets the positive grade. The quarterback does not because if he's not throwing to a right place, you know, but a receiver does make a miraculous catch, then why credit the quarterback for something that the receiver is doing? So there are, there are obvious scenarios in that regard, yes. Is that a lot tougher for, say, quarterback where you don't necessarily know the exact progression of you know, the route tree and exactly which receiver they should be looking at first? Or is it still kind of, I mean, because you've been doing it so long, you've been looking at this and doing analysis, can you pretty much know exactly where he should be looking on a given play? Yeah, we go with more or less, we count the reads too. And so we actually had um, an in-home analyst that adjusted every quarterback throw. So, and it's, it's, he was actually just hired by the Rams as the assistant quarterbacks coach. So Zach Robinson was in house for us before he got hired by Sean McVay. Wow. 
and he graded he went in and he watched the grades for every throw at the end of each week so monday and tuesday he was grading every throw and making sure every throw was accurate and so he was watching first second third read and tracking all of that information for us but it's to get back i guess to the question it's we don't try to grade we grow graded on a throw by throw basis whether it's where it's going and where it's intended as opposed to the read we don't read. that doesn't go into the original grade for him so we do have advanced ball charting um, and accuracy location data for quarterbacks and that takes an effect um, or into account the the reads and where he's trying to go with the ball but um, the overall grade for a player for a quarterback he doesn't receive that based upon where it's supposed to go so okay gotcha so you know i mean with the the movie Moneyball and I believe you know the the idea of analytics in baseball became a huge idea, but I still don't think it's completely understood in football. And I think that you know Pro Football Focus and yourself, obviously included, you know you try to to offer analytics to a game that's not as easy as just hits or runs or or you know just certain types of analysis like that. For people that don't know. How much data analysis goes into every, you know, play, for example, like an offensive defensive play for pro football focus? You know, and there's it's a great question and and we're catching up. I would say football analytics is definitely catching up to that. You know, Moneyball made it famous in baseball, but it's it's football is getting there to the point that all 32 NFL teams are clients of us at PFF. They use our data in one way or the other. And on offense, defense, there's from player location data to to where they line up at the time of the snap to where they're at the end of the play. It's everything is tracked and everything is quantified on our end. And so it's upwards of 180 or more data points per play. And every player gets a data point at least per play, even if they're not even involved. So it takes hours and hours and we have several different processes and we have analysts up watching games live. And then we have a whole team that reviews everything live. And then we have extra charts and extra processes. So it's our grades actually aren't complete until 24 hours or so, or, or a little bit, maybe 20 hours now we've, we've gotten it down to after the game. Um, and so that's one of the biggest things that goes into our grades is that it's checked, it's reviewed and then it's checked and reviewed one more time too. So it's, there's a lot that goes into every single play and every single player on every single game too. So. Wow. Great. Great. That's, that's a ton of information for our listeners, Kim. I appreciate it. So I know it's an extremely busy time for you. I mean, what kind of articles are you working on for pro football focus? Is it mostly just draft based at this, at this moment? Yeah, we've switched definitely to the to the draft centric approach here going forward. Um, we did we did a heavy heavy free agency tracking and and you know analytics into the in the free agency, and so we're gonna do a lot of the same things. So we do every single FBS game um, at the same exact level that we do the NFL. So we have data on all every every team at the FBS level, every player, and so with that we have our draft guide. Um, so that went out last two weeks ago actually, and so we have. Our draft guide that comes out, we're doing another version two of it where we've actually gone back and we've graded those FCS players even. So we have FCS data coming into this new draft guide. Actually, it gets released Monday the 8th. Um, and so with that comes our, just in the next few weeks, actually, we're doing a, our top 250 prospects for the draft. And we'll have a couple of mock drafts, including a full seven-round mock draft as well. So wow. a lot of a lot of draft coverage um, still, you know, anything that breaks or anything that happens with with the NFL and some other team features and player features in the NFL not letting that go by but we're definitely doing heavy heavy draft coverage coming up here wow wow that's that's incredible so where can people find you on social media so I'm at pff underscore cam that's on twitter um but then also as part of my role as senior content manager I run on a day-to-day basis our main twitter account at uh, at pff 
but then speaking specifically to Bills Mafia too, uh, you know, tell us where we've done wrong and tell us what you think of the Bills Bills moves and what we what we've done of the Bills at uh, on Twitter with our PFF Bills account. So it's at PFF underscore Bills. So it's three places there. Uh, myself is a little bit, uh, you know, running the PFF main account. I have a little bit less presence from my personal account there nowadays, but that's where I can be reached directly. Um, but yeah, doing that at PFF main account and at PFF underscore bills. Yeah, before, uh, Cam, before I even knew that you ran the at PFF underscore bills account, I have that. I'm definitely following that and I have each tweet on alert because it's so informative. It's it's just a, a great it just gives great insight for us Bills fans to know where these players, uh, the, the players that the Bills are signing and the players that the Bills have currently in their roster. And, you know, I mean, some some players you might not know had such a great season without without that insight. So thanks again for coming on our podcast and giving us insight into the Bills uh, free agency and into the NFL draft. Yeah, my pleasure. Anytime. I'm, I'm happy to come back, you know, hate or, or love. I'm, I'm, I'm all ears. I'm here for you. <laughs> okay, great. Appreciate that. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So based on our interview, I agree that edge rusher is one of the biggest needs on the team. But what I'm really worried about is prospects like Rashawn Gary or Montez Sweat that haven't produced at a high level against great competition in college, like Cam mentioned. Um, the same goes on the other side of the ball for wide receiver DK Metcalf. Now, if you've listened to the Circling the Wagons podcast in the past, you'll know that I'm not a draft expert like the folks at Pro Football Focus or our great writers at buffalorumblings.com. But I have noticed a lot of trends over the past 10 to 15 years in drafts, and I think Cam hit the nail on the head. These guys that are athletic freaks that do well at the combine but don't dominate collegiately don't, in my opinion, deserve to be a top 10 pick. Now, I'm not saying they shouldn't be drafted at all because they clearly have the talent. But for a team drafting in the top 10 that needs talent immediately, I mean, let let the teams at the back end of the first round that already have good rosters develop these guys and coach them. We need guys that can step in now and play. And that's the kind of guy that should be drafted at number nine or earlier if the Bills do end up moving up per uh, the rumors from John Warrow of the Associated Press. So before we get to our question of the day, if you are new to our podcast, we have a line of Bill's t-shirts on our TeePublic store. Head on over to tpublic.com slash stores slash ctwpod. Now the ctwpod is just like our Twitter handle at circlingthewagonspod, ctwpod, where in celebration of the release of the Bill's schedule this season, 
and them going 16-0 and this season, um, there is a 35% off sale of all shirts, including our most popular design of Josh Allen hurtling the haters. We also have our McDermott Trust the Process shirt, our Circling the Wagons logo shirt, and all colors and sizes are $13 only till Sunday for our listeners only. And uh, so treat yourself. Three words for you. Treat yourself. With a great t-shirt for you or a Bill's friend or a family member. That site again is tpublic.com slash stores slash ctwpod. Um, give us any feedback on the designs you like or if you don't like. And if you have any ideas for um, some cool Bill shirts, let us know. <laughs> Our question of the day comes from um, longtime listener and friend of the podcast, Chris, on Facebook. After we posted about the signing of ex-Titans guard Quinn Spain to a one-year deal. Now, this was a few weeks ago, but um, he basically asked, what do you think of all these one-year deals? And Chris is referring to players like Adrian Waddle, offensive tackle Adrian Waddle, and you know guard Quinn Spain. They're being signed to one-year deals. But I think he's also talking about guys on low multi-year deals with lots of playing incentives that can easily be cut next season without a huge loss or huge cap hit like John Feliciano, Spencer Long, or even Ty Neshecki. But I think the Bills' front office are going quantity over quality in this situation. And I and personally, I think it's a smart move because they are then going to be able to pay the ones that A, make it through training camp, and B, perform well during the season when active on the on the 53-man roster to a longer contract extension. So it's kind of like a it's kind of like a one year tryout for a lot of these veteran guys. So the, in, in saying that the Bills have over seventy five million dollars in cap space for twenty twenty as of now. So if they find a diamond in the rough for one of these linemen, then they actually have the flexibility to keep them for one or two or multiple years, depending on how they're doing. Or they may not end up signing any of them to a long term contract and just use them to hold the place for a younger player like Wyatt Teller or a new draft pick. Since you know they're going to use at least one draft pick on an offensive lineman at some point in the draft, maybe even earlier. So um, I believe Bean and McDermott do prefer for their rookies to sit when they can and learn before putting them in the lineup. I mean, just for example, like last season, you know, a Wyatt Teller, offensive guard Wyatt Teller that I just discussed, um, he didn't start until after the Bills O-line really struggled to protect Josh Allen. I think I think he got his first start in November. Wide receiver Robert Foster, undrafted rookie last season, didn't start till Andre Holmes and Kelvin Benjamin were released, and the Bills were out of the playoff hunt. Cornerback Levi Wallace, same thing. He wasn't starting until after the Bills were out of the playoffs. Um, Deion Dawkins, a couple of seasons ago, with an injury to Cordy Glenn, um, he didn't start then. And of course, um, you know the most important one was Josh Allen last season. He was basically supposed to be given a, a red shirt rookie season with Peterman or McCarron starting, but with Peterman being Peterman, of course, and flaming out within a half of the first game of the season, Allen was thrust in the starting role. So if the I, I have a I have a strong suspicion that if McDermott can sit these guys, these younger guys for veteran players, that he will. Now the only times that they actually have started rookies, it seems, is when they didn't have the depth to sit them 
or they were just that high of a draft pick. Now I'm talking about guys like Zay Jones because Zay Jones ended up being like the number two or number three receiver his rookie season because the Bills got rid of Sammy Watkins. They didn't sign Robert Woods or Marquise Goodwin. So just by default, he was a second or third wide receiver on the team. Then, you know, there was Tredavious White, who was a first-round draft pick. Deion Dawkins, who, like I mentioned earlier, got thrust in when Corey Glenn got injured. And then Tremaine Edmonds being a first-round pick and them literally having no one and middle linebacker behind him. Um, and then, obviously, Josh Allen, like I just mentioned. So the thing that's great, though, about signing all these guys to one-year contracts or really low-risk multi-year deals is that it affords the team a lot of different options by signing the offensive linemen in quantity. Uh, maybe one of them has talent that wasn't able to be seen since the coaching staff in Oakland or New York wasn't able to utilize that guy correctly in their schemes. And if they didn't, but the players still performed well, as we found out, well, then they will still get a positive grade from Pro Football Focus. And since the Bills and every other team in the NFL use Pro Football Focus, we found out, they would sign him based on that specific potential. So thanks again to Cam Meller of Pro Football Focus for coming on and talking Bill's draft topics and giving us a brief overview of the analytics involved and how they grade players at the pro and collegiate level. He is an extremely busy guy this time of year and was nice enough to let us ask him some questions. So you can follow him at, at PFF underscore Cam for his personal account. You can follow the official Pro Football Focus account at PFF and the very informative at PFF underscore Bill's Twitter account that every Bills fan should be following already. Um, I look forward to talking to him in the future and talking to you guys in the future after the draft. And for me, Nate, go Bills. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you for listening to the Circling the Wagons podcast. Download and subscribe to us in your favorite podcast service. Email us at ctwpod at gmail.com. That's Charlie Tango Whiskey Pod at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at ctwpod. And most importantly, go Bills! Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com.